Well, good morning, church. Good to see everyone. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you look good. Can you do that? Well, say it like you mean it. Say, you look good. <laughs> you look good. I always like it when, when people are dating someone and they come to church. And I think that's a way cool place to date someone, come to church. Um, you know what? Uh, I'm, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm Pastor Ruben. I feel like I haven't been here in a while. I was preaching last week in Missouri, and it's good to be here. Um, so I came across, um, there's this, we're talking about how to build a lasting marriage. And I think it's so cool that we talk to these people outside of the doors and, and get their honest opinion. And, and uh, it's, it's just enlightening a little bit hearing, and I appreciate their honesty. But I want you to know there's a, there's a husband store that's open in New York City. Anybody hear about this husband store? Ladies, if you're, if you're fishing, you need to be aware of this. Uh, yeah, there's six floors in New York. There's six floors in this store. And you can only visit each floor one time. And each floor, uh, the, the value increases with each floor that you visit. And you could, you could choose any item on each floor, but you can only go up and you can't go down. So once you get to that floor, you got you know, you to get something more and you can't go back down kind of thing. So there was this woman who went to the store um, recently. This is all a true story, guys. And the first floor, the sign read, uh, these men have jobs. So, so if you're fishing for a husband, the first floor says these men, that's pretty good, right, ladies? So that's like a, a kind of a qualifying thing. Um, a man with a job, that's a good thing. Uh, this, this gal went up to the second floor and it said, these men have jobs and love kids. So we're getting better, right? Uh, these men have jobs and love kids, and that's another thing. Then, then she went to the third floor, and the third floor said this. These men have jobs, they love kids, and are extremely good looking. So we're just getting better and better and better. How many ladies would stop right there? That'd be enough for you. Nope, and the fourth floor, she had to go up again. Fourth floor, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking, and help with the housework. So, yep, yeah. woo, there it is right there. Um, fifth floor, these men have jobs. She went to the fifth floor. These men have jobs, love kids, are extremely good looking, help with the housework, and have a very strong romantic streak. Bada bing, bada bum, right? So then she said, well, I'm going to go to the sixth floor because it's got to get better. And there's a sign that reads on the sixth floor that said, you are a visitor 31,456,012. There are no men on this floor. This floor solely exists to prove that women are impossible to please. <laughs> and every man in the house said, amen. You know what I'm talking about? Across the street, there's a new wife store. Check it out, men. Same rules. First floor. This floor has wives that love sex. Yeah, you're in church, right? Second floor. Second floor. This floor has wives that love sex and have money. It's so quiet. You guys, it's just going to get better, guys. It's just going to get better. Floors three to six have never been visited. <laughs> Thank you. How to build a lasting marriage. How to build a lasting marriage. Um, my wife and I, you know, we, well, I'll be the first to say we don't have a perfect marriage. We, we're going to make 31 years here in December. And uh, I, I'll tell you, it's been, uh, I, I'm, I love my wife. I love her. And, and it's been, um, she's not even here and I'm telling you that. Uh, and, and it's just been a joy. But it always hasn't been easy. How many of you have been married, just out of curiosity, you've been married, let's say, 
Uh, and let's just start over. How many of you are single? Just raise your hand if you're single. All right, you're, you're single. Um, how many of you are, maybe you're dating someone. Raise your hand if you're dating someone. Anybody dating anyone? Um, you, they, you might be dating someone and they don't know you're dating them, but you're probably, you know, they, <laughs> they have no idea. They're in the crosshairs. Uh, all right, how many of you are married? Raise your hand if you've been married. Help me out here, church. Come on, hopefully that Starbucks has kicked in. How many have been married for five years? Five years or more, 10 years or more, 15, 20, 40, let's go to 40, oh, look at this. how about 50, how about 60, 60, oh, we, we got some, we got some 50 years, so just give a hand, yeah, give a hand for those people who've been married 50 years, they, they've never had a problem in their marriage their whole time, and that's why they've been married for so long, they got it, they're, they're married to Jesus, and it's just a good thing, no, anyone who's been married, it doesn't matter how long, it's just work. And I'll tell you, even, uh, you know, we're coming up on our 31, and I'll, I'll just tell you, it doesn't stop. The minute you relax, it's, that's when the, the marriage just goes kind of a different direction. But you're always working on your marriage. It just doesn't stop. As a pastor, I can tell you, there's nothing like having an enlightened conversation with my wife and then going to my office to write a, a message about God's love. Or having, you know, being in a, a tens- tension, you know, stressful kind of thing. And then all of a sudden be thrusted up to a stage with lights where I have to preach about God's love. That's like weird. That's just weird. Because we can compartmentalize. You know what I'm talking about? You, you have a rough t- conversation at home and then you go to work and you kind of put on your work hat. And you forget about what happened at home and you put it back on when you go home. Whatever it is. But we can compartmentalize. But it's really hard to compartmentalize when your life is just fluid. It's just one. There's no... There's no compartments at all. But marriage takes work. It takes work. It really does. Uh, I remember the early days. Uh, remember when you're dating and you're talking on the phone with, with her. I'll just say her. I'm talking on the phone with her. And, 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 and maybe you were, you know, I'm thinking about me when I was, you know, way back when, when I graduated high school. I met my wife, Grace, for, for, you know, in, high school, in chemistry. But I remember talking on the phone with her, there was these long cords that were attached to the phone. It was just like a crazy day. But anyway, I mean, just hearing her breathe, you know what I mean? Like you're just listening, and I, I can't hang up the phone. I got to listen to her, you know? I, I, I can't, like, you hang up, I can't hang up, you hang up, I can't hang up. You know what I mean? That whole life. And just the romance behind all of that. Remember those days? Well, how do you have a lasting marriage? What does that look like? Um, Here's some stats for you to just kind of put in your mind. The average length of a marriage, 8.2 years. The average length of a marriage. Um, 10% of marriages will fail within the first two years. 10%. And 20% of marriages will end within the first five years. And in fact, divorcing in your 50s has become so popular that there's a name for it called gray divorce. Gray divorce. Now, some of these, you know, it's been said that, that half of marriages end up in divorce, and, and that number's dropped a little bit now to right around 42, 44%. But a big part of that is you have more people living together and not married. 
You have way more people now today living together and taking it out for a test drive, whatever, uh, living together, not being married. And so that kind of skews the numbers a little bit on, on, on marriage and this kind of thing. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about a healthy marriage. What does that look like? So if you're single, I pray that you just kind of stay engaged here because I think this is going to be a measure of a man, measure of a woman. And I, I pray, I believe you'll get something out of this. And if you're married, my prayer is you grow closer to Jesus today. We're closer to Jesus and your marriage is stronger and there's new steps going forward in your relationship, whatever, wherever you're at right now in your journey. So Genesis chapter two, verse 18, we're going to look at the, the DNA of a, a marriage. We're going to go back to the original code here, right guys? Genesis chapter two, verse 18 says this, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a what church? A what? Helper. A helper. That's right. Who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. In verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called, what church? I think Adam said, whoa, man. It's a stupid joke. I don't know why I keep saying that. It's an old joke. Because she was taken from man. This explains, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is, oh, this is a big word, guys, and is what? And is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Uh, Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. And, and God, right now, I just, by your grace, pray that you just uh, anoint this message. I know you're here already. I thank you for your presence and we don't want to go through the motions of church. And I know there's people here, Lord, for, for different reasons. But I believe you have this divine appointment with every soul that's here in the house right now. Would you open up hearts, change hearts, renew minds, transform minds, God. Um, Lord, I pray that salvation experiences happen even while the sermon is being preached. I pray that people who are lost, that don't even know they're lost, recognize they're lost and they turn to you. Would you speak to the heart of the person who's self-sufficient, who's prideful, who's self-centered, whatever it is, God, and speak to the person who's been in church for decades. Speak to them as well, Lord. We make ourselves available to you, open to you. Would you just make that your prayer and say, Jesus, speak to me. God, speak to me. God, change my heart. Make that your prayer. Lord, I pray for those who are watching online, Lord, would you uh, minister to their hearts, God. Give a word to them as well. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the souls that you brought to this place this morning. And may you, Jesus, be glorified in me and through me. I pray I don't add anything that I shouldn't add. And, and, I, and Lord, just delete anything I shouldn't say either, Lord. We, we want to we be led by you, Holy Spirit. So be, you be my transcript, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. God is good. Do you expect God to move? Do you expect God to move? Do you expect God? Do you, do you want to hear a word from the Lord? Um, this, uh, this, uh, this passage we just read, I want to point out a couple of things. There's, there's three people involved in this. You got it, right? There, there's Adam and, and there's Eve, right? There's the man and woman, but there's also God. There's also God. So God is the architect of marriage. And you see that in Genesis chapter two. He's the officiant, which is so different from Colorado. You know, in Colorado, anybody can marry anyone. Your dog can marry you. I mean, you can marry yourself in Colorado. The, the, the laws are so open and so loose, but I'm looking at what a, a biblical marriage looks like. That's what we're looking at, what a biblical marriage looks like. And I want to keep saying that because I want to, I want, it's important for all of us to look at the, at the, at the same place. And, and this is what a biblical marriage looks like. God is the center. He's the efficient. And he's the one who brings man and woman together. He takes the woman out of, out of the rib of, of Adam and, and, he, and he brings this woman. And, and there's this purpose behind it all. And, and it finishes, verse, uh, this verse finishes, it said the two are united into one. So the purpose of marriage is this idea of oneness. It's one flesh. There's this unity thing that happens where eventually you become one and, and it's, it's uh, growing to become one throughout your years and decades. And that's what marriage is. Um, let me give you a working definition. Biblical marriage is when a man and a woman make a commitment under the eyes of God to become one. So you have this awareness that, that God knows who you are. God sees you. You want to have clean hands and a pure heart before God, and you want to please God. And, 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 and these two people come together, and you're like, okay, I, I, the, God is in the center of our relationship. We want, we want to please him, and, and we got we to live together. We're bringing two different histories and past together, two different in-laws together. We're bringing all this together, and our desire is to grow together in our relationship with God. And that's what we're looking at. So, so how do you build a lasting marriage? First thing is this, your starting point is more important than you think. Your starting point is way more important than you think. How you start the relationship. Where do you go? How do you start it? What does it look like? Way more important. We sang that song, Firm Foundation, that Pastor Nick led, and it's a great, great song. This idea of building your house on Jesus. In fact, Matthew 7, verse 24 said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. So if you listen, this is, there's this idea of, of, of listening to God's word and doing God's word and practicing God's word and living it out. And when you do that, you're like a wise person who builds his house on a rock. And scripture says someone who, who reads it and doesn't do it is like someone who's building on sand. So same thing in a marriage. It's important. You have to understand if you want to have a strong relationship with someone, this could be a friendship. This could be a dating relationship. This could be a marriage, whatever it is. It starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. And that's what you have to get. Uh, Chris Lopez is one guy that we're going to be baptizing. I love doing baptism weekends. Like we, we baptized some people last night. And uh, again, right now in this service, we're going to do it again. But um, we're going to baptize Chris. And, and he said this, throughout my life, I've experienced a lot of hurt, both physically and emotionally. I came from a very broken family with broken parents. Um, I, I, look, I hear that and I, I read that and I think, gosh, we all have a story, don't we? We all have a story. We're all working through some, maybe some old wounds. We're all working through maybe some old hurts, whatever it might be. 
He said he had a bad car accident in 2003 and he hit rock bottom. Shortly after that, he was invited to Thorn Creek Church. And in 2013, he met his best friend and future wife, Roxy, at Thorn Creek Church. I think that's pretty cool that he met her at church. She encouraged me to attend every weekend. And from there, I started to build a relationship with Jesus. Now I sense his presence in my life every day. And therefore, I surrender my life fully to him. Isn't that beautiful, guys? Can we put our hands together? Praise Jesus. I love it when Jesus changes his life. Jesus does that over and over. Verse 24 said this. This explains why a man leaves his father and a mother and is joined to his wife. Can you say the word joined with me? Joined. It literally, in the Hebrew language, it means to cling or to adhere. I mean, this is really, this is something sticky. This is, this is better than like J.B. Weld or whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, this is something that comes together and it's, 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 they're, they're together to the point where they start becoming one. Now, this idea of joining or clinging, it's this idea of there were two different entities, but when they came together, now they're one. And the longer they're together and as they grow together, you can't see one, where one started and where one ended. They start becoming one. It's glue holding fast. Let me say this. Marrying is easy. Joining is hard. Marrying is easy. Anybody can get married. All you have to do is get dressed up, put your best on, get some makeup on or something like that, invite some close family or friends and maybe rent out something if you want to do that. And and uh, we'll throw some rice on you and stuff like that. And you get to say vows like, you know, will you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer and sickness and in health. Yep, yep, yep. I do. You have no idea where you're saying I do to. You don't know what the future holds. And then you walk, you leave away and everybody's throwing rice at you. And it's a great time. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. And, 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 and all that. Marrying is easy. Joining is hard. What about the first test that comes around? What about the first trial that comes around? What about that thing that happens in your life that you never expected and you think, gosh, am I still going to be in this? Do I still? I do. Am I still going to? I do. Am I still? This is not what I expected. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're initially, when you're, when you're dating, you know, like, like, like the woman smells like, you know, rose petals and flowers. And, but one day you'll get a whiff of her armpit. You know what I mean? <laughs> One day you'll be like, wow, okay, this is different. <laughs> you know, our bodies start to change. Things start hanging and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, this is different than, well, you know, I, 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 what I signed up for and what I got in the beginning, as time has gone on, it's kind of changed. You know, you don't know what I'm talking about, you know. And, and it's like, okay, do I still, I do. Am I still in it? Am I still in it? For Grace and I, there came a point, and we're still growing and, and learning, but there comes a point in your relationship when you choose to grow together. You choose to grow old together. You choose to walk together. You choose to do life together. You choose to battle together. You choose to fight together. You choose to stay in it together. Our problem is we define marriages now based on movies videos. We look at our sex life and we compare it to this fantasy life. And we've got a skewed view of what true marriage looks like. What true marriage. Lasting marriages are the union of two givers, not two takers. Are you a giver or a taker? 
Do a little assessment in your life, in your relationship. Are you, do you give or do you take? If you did the math, how much do you give? How much do you take? I think our, our pride, our self-centeredness, we are takers naturally. It's about what I can get. It's about what's in it for me. And I'll do this if, it's, if there's something in it. For, if I like it, I'll do it. If I don't like it, I don't want to do it. If I want to, I'll, we are takers. But in, in, a, in a lasting marriage, this is just good. This is just loving others. You got to be a giver. And you can't take score. Uh, one, one man, Carl, has been married for 54 years. He said, if you can't learn to give more than you take, you'll never make it. I think the problem is when you start taking score and you start thinking, okay, well, I did this and you haven't done this and I did this and you did this. You know, I just cooked for you and you didn't do anything for me and I just washed your car and you didn't do anything for me and I just did this for you and you haven't done anything for me and you start, you start keeping score. It's hard. But you got to be selfless. If you want to be in a relationship, if you want a marriage that lasts, you've got to be a giver. You've got to be a giver. The writer, Paul the Apostle, said this in Corinthians. This is a famous passage. I've read it. I don't know how many weddings I've done. And uh, this is one that I've read. This is, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's, it's not irritable. <laughs> it keeps no record of being wronged. You know, you ever read through the scripture and you think, man, I just got to take a breath. You know, this is just, uh, this is hard. I'm not always patient or kind. And sometimes I can be jealous or boastful or proud or rude, demand my own way. And so I can be irritable. Verse six says, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never, never gives up. I love that. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Endures through every circumstance. Think about the challenges you face. The, the, you know, the lo- longer you're, you, know, you, you do life with someone and, and their problems become your problems and, and, uh, and all of a sudden uh, you have this choice to make where I may not personally be going through this, but you're going through this and I love you so much, I'm gonna walk with you through this. You know, I, I'm going I'm to help you. I'm going to support you. I'm not just going to be consumed with my own life. I'm going to care about you and the things that you're going through. This whole passage is about love. I think when we look at this passage, it's super easy for us to look at it and say, well, yeah, check. Uh, I'm not really good at that, but who cares? Check. Yeah, I'm not really good at that, but she'll get over that. Check. But, you know, I'm not really good at that, but I don't care anyway. I'm good. Uh, so we, we look at ourselves and grade ourselves on this curve and we think I'm pretty good and everywhere else. I'm pretty good, and this part of me being rude, I mean, and this part of, of, of me being irritable, and, and this part of, of, of me, you know, uh, being prideful, if it's not going to keep me out of heaven, then I don't care. They just have to live with me. But God wants to, God wants to completely transform you. Jesus wants to change you Completely. This, this couple that had been married for 67 years was asked, what's the secret of marriage? And they said, 
We never both fell out of love at the same time. Isn't that good? Never both fell out of love at the same time. Because you can go through different things when it's just hard. You know, and you're like, what did I get myself into? Well, she can say the same thing about you. He could say the same thing about you. And I love this, this verse right here. That, you know, they just never fell out of love to, at the same time. There was one, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do in your marriage is to pray for them. Pray for them. And the prayer shouldn't be, God, you change her, or God, you change him. The prayer should be, God, start with me. Change me. Change me. And when they see you and they see that transformation, it just points them to God. It just points them to Jesus. But this couple said, you know, wait, we, we, uh, we never fall out, of, fall out of love at the same time. Um, one of the things you've heard before is don't go to bed angry. Well, everyone who raised their hand, just is that true or is that false? It, it's kind of false because it, we have gone to bed angry before. I, 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 I read this other, uh, this, this commentary about this couple who, We've been married many, many years, and they said, even when we go to bed angry, we touch each other with our toes to make sure the other person knows that I'm still here. Isn't that good? We touch each other with it. Or you can just have makeup sex and all of this good, but whatever it is. But it's like, it's like, you know what? We're still in this together. I still love you. It's hard. I don't understand what you said bothered me, and it's still sitting in me. It's still, it's still under my skin, <sighs> but I know your heart. I know your heart. I think the devil can, can, can work with words. The devil works with words all the times, right? We remember things that we want to forget. And sometimes the devil could say, oh, she said this to you, and then they just kind of sits with you, or he said this to you, and it kind of sits with you. But what I do, when I, when, I, when I feel like the enemy's doing that, I think about all the other things that she does for me out of love. I think about the way she's taking care of me, and I think about all the little things that she does for me, and then I'm like, that little thing's nothing. I have moments also. I want to extend grace like God has extended grace towards me. How can I bear a grudge? How can I hold a grudge? In the Bible, you see some bad examples of marriage. One of them is um, Abigail and Nabal. And in 1 Samuel chapter 25, you read about King David, and, and he's traveling with his men, and, and they're going through this territory, and, and in this territory, they're hungry, and, and, uh, and Nabal, that's the guy, Nabal owns the property, and he has a business, and he has workers, and it's kind of like a farm, and, and David says, oh, can I eat something here while we're passing through? And, and Nabal says, no, I'm not going to feed you. Our men aren't going to feed you, and just treated David with unkindness. And David gets upset and he's like, okay, we're going to go ahead and take you guys out. Me and my men are going to come together and we're going to take you guys out. So David's getting ready to, getting ready to roll. And verse 23 says this, when Abigail saw David, this is, this is Nabal's wife, that's Abigail. When Abigail saw David, she quickly, she, she, she rushed out to get him. She quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She's showing David honor and respect. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I say. I know Nabal is a wicked, she's talking about her husband. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool just as his name suggests. This is the wife talking about the husband. See, we know our spouses pretty well. We know who we're living with pretty well. And we've learned to adapt to them. We've learned this is 
who they are, right? And, 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 and God's in the business of changing. He's in the business of changing. Sometimes I feel like we, we use that as an excuse and we say, I'm not going to change my temper. This is just who I am. Sometimes we can look at our weaknesses and we wear it like a badge and say, yep, I'm stubborn. Really, I'm just a strong person. Really? I'm prideful. Yeah, I'm really just a very strong person. Seriously? No, you're not. The strongest people are humble people. Those are the strongest people. They're humble people. Have you ever looked at a, another couple? I'm going to just step on some people here. Have you ever looked at another couple and you looked at, maybe you, you looked at, at I'm, we're going to start with the guys. Maybe you looked at the guy, the man that that woman's with, and you think, wow, you must feel like you're living in a prison. You know what I mean? Have you ever looked at that and thinking, wow, you live with him? And that's who I see who you, you go home to that every day. Have you ever looked at a, at, a, at a woman and you see her and you see the way she is and how controlling she is and all the things. And you look at the man and you think, wow, you ever think for yourself? You go home to that? Really? Every day? See, we can look at each other and we can see that kind of thing. And Nabal and Abigail, that's where, that's where they were at. James chapter 1 is a good word for all of us. It says, let's read this out loud, guys, because this is a way cool verse to memorize. Let's read it out loud. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Isn't that good? Those are, if you just practice those three things in life, in your relationships, in your marriage, at work, friendships, whatever, Oh, your relationships would change. We must all be quick to listen. There's not a whole lot of um, college courses that exist out there that teach you how to listen. Right? And listening is an art. It's an art. A lot of times when we listen, all we're doing is we're thinking about what we want to say as a rebuttal. We're not really Listening. You can have your mouth shut, but you're still thinking about what you want to say. Listening means putting yourself into their shoes and being open and looking at things from their perspective, exercising empathy, listening and understanding, well, this is reality for them. May not be reality for me, but if it's their reality, then it's reality. The ability to listen, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. Be careful with your words. Have you ever said something and as soon as the words come out of your mouth, you're like, ah, <laughs> why did I say that? I knew I shouldn't have said that. You know, you're walking around and you're in your gut. You're saying, I'm going to say this. And in your gut, it's like, don't you say that. And you ignore your gut and you say it anyway. And as soon as it comes out, you're like, yeah, God, I know you were right again. You were right again. And slow to get angry. Scripture says in Proverbs, a man who can control his spirit is greater than one who can conquer a city. Slow to get angry. In some marriages you see, if you ask, well, what's the secret of your marriage? And maybe it's just a man who's full of temper and full of anger and his whole thing is to intimidate. His whole thing is if you don't like what I'm doing, then I'm going to get angry. Or maybe it might be the woman. 
I'm going to get angry if you don't get my way. So the whole, the whole goal is let's just live together and make sure we don't get the other person upset. And that's their secret. And they're really roommates. They're really roommates. Many times they're not having sex or anything like that. They're just kind of coexisting together. But their, their strategy is, you know what? I don't want to say anything to set you off because if I say something to set you off, you're going to get angry. And I don't like it when you get angry and the whole mood changes. So the goal in the house is just not to get you angry. Well, that's not of God. Scripture says anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. There's nothing wrong about getting angry for the right reasons. Jesus got angry. But there's a difference when the anger controls you. There's a difference when there's no love in the anger. You know what that looks like. Some of you have been abused at some point in your life. And there was some anger behind that. The second thing I want you to hear is this. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than you think. Way more important. You coming to church is a big deal. You coming to church is a big deal. The writer, uh, Paul the Apostle in, in Ephesians, he gives this picture of a marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And he's really comparing it to the relationship with Jesus and the local church. But there's some beautiful, beautiful principles here about marriage. And uh, verse 21, he says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the idea of, of respecting one another, submitting to one another. Sometimes we have someone who wants respect but doesn't earn a respect. You've seen that before? Someone wants respect, but they don't treat you with kindness. Someone who wants respect, but they don't, they don't love you. It's hard to respect someone like that. For wives, hello, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Now, you might think, well, what does that mean? That doesn't mean you're a slave. That doesn't mean, you know, he's your boss. None of that, those, those kinds of things. It's, it's, just the, it's just the opposite. There's this respect and this love that we're called, that women are called to do. And husbands, likewise, because verse 25 says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, if you look at that word, and I looked at it in, in the original Greek, you know what kind of love we're talking about here? It's a self-sacrificial love. A self-sacrificial love. The kind of love where Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's, it's, not about, it's not about me. I love you with the love of Jesus. That's why the, 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 the best lovers have a tight relationship with Jesus. Those are the best lovers. They know the love of God. When you know the love of God at a personal level, and you've turned to God, and you've experienced the forgiveness of your sins, you know what I mean? You've experienced the salvation of God, and you've tasted his grace. I think about my life, and I, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the grace of God. Still, today, still. And when you experience the grace of God in your life, you want to share that same grace to others because it's so good. It's so freeing. It's so, it's so beautiful. And, and the closer you get to God, the closer in your relationship with God, the better lover you will be. You're going to have to show grace and mercy. I think it was Ruth Graham said, um, a great marriage is the union of two forgivers. 
Isn't that good? Two forgivers. Because that's what we have to do. We have to forgive repeatedly. We're all, you know, make serial offenses. We have to forgive frequently. And you have to be at this point where, okay, I, I cannot forgive if Christ was not living in me. I mean, truly forgive. Because if, I, if Christ wasn't living in me, all of my, my, my grace and my forgiveness would be conditional. It would all be conditional. I'll do this if. I'll do this if. If you don't know, then I'll do. I mean, it's all conditional. It's all conditional. Loving marriages have the same standard of grace and truth. Same standard of grace and truth. So if, you, if, you, if you're dating right now, let me just say it this way. Single women, if you're dating, maybe you should look a little bit deeper than what kind of car they drive or what kind of job they have. Instead, look at their relationship with Jesus. Look at their relationship with Jesus. Amos chapter 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the same direction? It's a good word, right? For life, business, friendships, whatever. Can you, it's impossible. If you're going this way and I'm going this way, it just doesn't work. That's why there's this warning in Scripture about if you consider yourself a Christian, you better be careful about who you want to hang out with. You better be careful about who you want to date. You better be careful about what road you take and with who because that person can take you another direction. That person can take you another direction. I think overall we have this problem with commitment. We don't commit to many things at all. You know, even this idea of joining requires commitment, doesn't it? Requires commitment to say, I'm going to stay with you. Well, what do we truly join? Not a whole lot of things. We bounce around from cell phone provider to cell phone provider and workout club to workout club and maybe even job to job, maybe even church. You attend church, but you're not really joined to church. And we can look at life like that. We can look at life and think, okay, I just want to, uh, I want to just taste a little bit, but I don't really want to join. I don't really want to join. Uh, let me just say this for some of you. Some of you, you don't know how God could use you in your life unless you join, unless you fully commit to something and you see what God can do in you and through you, but you've got to be willing to join. That's one of the problems with someone who says, we just want to live together, but we don't want to join. You know what I'm saying? We just want to live together, but we don't really want to commit. Well, why don't you put a ring on her? No, 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 we're just not ready. We're not ready. No, you're, you're, what are you doing? You're pretending, you're playing. See, joining is completely different from trying out. Joining is this idea that we're going to go in it together. One of the things you see, and I, I see it in, a, in the relationship with a Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel, evil, evil, evil people. In fact, there's this one verse, I'll just read this to you. First uh, King chapter one says, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. And you see this relationship with Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel, evil woman, and she influences her husband. Her husband is evil king, and, and you just see them, you know, rubbing off of each other. And this relationship, if anything, it shows us that values are contagious. Morals are contagious. Faith is contagious. Fear is contagious. Worry is contagious. Evil, wickedness is contagious. 
So you got to be careful, like Amy said, you got to be careful who you're walking with because it matters. But when you have someone that says, hey, let's go to church, baby. Well, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm going to encourage you. Let's go. We can do it. Oh, man. You're lifting her up to another level. You're lifting your relationship up to another level. Or you say, hey, baby, let's go to church. Oh, but the, but the Broncos are going to lose again. <laughs> the Broncos are on TV. And you're like, you know what? No, let's go to church. Let's, let's hold each other up. That's a lasting marriage, a lasting friendship. You hold each other up and say, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep believing in you. I'm going to keep, t- I'm going to keep, let's keep looking at God's word. Let's keep, you know, pray out loud with your spouse. Pray out loud with them. Pray out loud for them. We saw this list of love, and I have to show you how to do this, guys, because Galatians chapter 5 talks about how to love. When you look at that, love is patient and kind, and it's not rude, and it's not irritable. That whole laundry, it's really easy to look at that and say, I'm going to try to be that person. But let me give you the gravy, the secret. Here it is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love joy. There's love right there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in Galatians chapter 5, there's this talk about what's driving you. Is it your sinful nature or is it your Holy Spirit? And the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit, they're at odds with each other. They're just, they're just, They have two different desires, two different goals, two different agendas. So if you really want to go to another level in your walk with God, you got to learn to let the Holy Spirit, first of all, fill you and let the Holy Spirit guide you. And the Holy Spirit will give you desires and a strength that you just don't have. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Do you see that? It's love. So if you want to be a better lover, If you want to be more kind, if you want to be more gentle, if you want to have more self-control, you don't have self-control and you do things that you regret. If you want to have more self-control, here's what you got to do. You got to open up that valve of the Holy Spirit into your life. And when you increase the capacity of the Holy Spirit into your life, all of a sudden you increase the capacity of love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and gentleness, self-control, all of those things become stronger. Our problem is we don't surrender to God completely. Our problem is we're trying to live a good life without the Holy Spirit. That's our problem. But you need something bigger than you. Every man needs someone bigger than him. And that's Jesus. And the problem for some men is there's no one bigger than them. There's no one bigger than them. And that's called pride. You worship yourself. You make up your own box of theology that makes feels good. And you have your own excuses and you blame others and you convince yourself there's nothing wrong with you. The devil's got you just where he wants you. That was got you just where he wants you. The strongest men spend time on their knees. Let me just say, say it like this. Lasting marriages are two people that have learned to die to themselves and live through Christ. You got to do it. When I was in Missouri, I was with this couple and they'd been married for a long time. And I said, what's the, 
what's the reason? And they said things like good communication, you know, that kind of thing. And that's all important. That's really important. You got to be able to communicate. But I think the biggest thing is you got to die to yourself. It's that sacrificial love, that Jesus love. You got to die to yourself over and over and over again. When she doesn't meet your expectations, he doesn't meet your expectations. When he says those words, that she says those, whatever it is, you got to die to yourself daily, repeatedly. This is not a one day Sunday thing. This is a everyday thing. This is a Monday morning thing, a Monday night thing, and a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. It is a daily thing to die to yourself and live for him. It's a daily thing. But it starts with your desire, your desire to live out God's purpose for your life. If you don't want God's purpose, then following Christ is not a priority. Going to church is not a priority. It's not. I like what Reese said. I baptized Reese last night. He said, getting baptized at 12, I had no idea what it meant. It's just what we did at the church I grew up in. Seeing the hypocrisy around me, I turned into a hypocrite myself. And I love the fact that Reese is so incredibly, brutally honest. He said, yep, I'm a hypocrite. I've carried around anger, resentment, and disappointment my whole life. I've hurt loved ones. Wow. I've hurt loved ones. And I've tried to figure out what I needed God, what, what, that I needed God to fix uh, was broken. I've turned my life to God fully and I'm letting him heal me. Getting baptized for me symbolizes washing away all the shame and guilt I carry on a daily basis. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. You just praise God. He's changing lives. That's what Jesus said. With, we have a picture of him. Reese is a big guy. He's a big guy. When I baptized him, I think he hit his head on the back of the tub here. He's just a big guy. But, I, you know, he had stopped going to church for about 10 years. About 10 years. Because he looked at church and said, they're just full of hypocrites. And he was so hurt and wounded from his church experience and other experiences around him. And the devil thought he had him. And then he came to Thorn Creek Church. And his heart started changing. Have you ever seen a heart that starts to change? The eyes start to change. I see it all the time. You know, you can see pride in eyes. Have you looked into someone's soul? You can see pride. You can see anger. You can see hurt. You can see wounds. You can see grudges. You can see lust. You can see a lot in the eyes of someone. They're windows to the soul. You can see worry, you can see anxiety, you can see darkness. But something else happens. When they turn to Jesus, their eyes change. Oh man, I'm talking spiritual with you right now, guys. (laughs) I didn't share this last night. Their eyes change. You see this transparency that's happening, this softening, this humility, this humbleness, this brokenness, this contriteness. 
this servant-like, this, this healing that's happening, and you see it in the eyes, and it's so exciting when I see it. I, and I saw it in weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was looking at Reese, and I'm looking at him, and I can tell his eyes were changing, and little by little, he would ignore me at first, but then eventually, he would walk by me, and he put, put his hand on my shoulder, and I'm like, hey, what's up with that? That was a, that was a love tap from a bro. That was a bro love tap right there. And then I'd walk in, and then next time he came, he goes, hey, pastor, and he gives me a full-on hug. I'm like, hey, his soul was changing. That's what was happening. I'm waiting for him to give me a kiss now. It's going to happen any day. I know we're just going that direction. But it's a beautiful thing when a life is changed by Jesus. Glory to God. Scales come off of their eyes. Oh, die to yourself and live for him. Let me say this to you, ladies. Nobody can satisfy you like Jesus. Nobody can satisfy you like Jesus. And men, nobody can satisfy you like Jesus. Don't look to her. Don't look to him to do things inside of you that only God can do. Don't look at them to fill you up like God can fill you up. Don't look to them for healing. God is the one who heals. And some of us, we need soul deep work in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? Soul deep surgery. And God can go that deep. I'm almost done. I got about another hour. Verse 25 says this. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. That beautiful. One of the things you see with Jesus is his desire to make you holy. You see this throughout the Old Testament. God's desire to make his people holy. I mean, just look at the book of Leviticus. It's all about be holy. And God has a desire for you to be holy. He did this to present her, her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. There's that sacrificial love. As they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Now check this out, men. When you look at this part, it talks about the love of Jesus and the motivation of Jesus is for the church to be holy. Men, one of the most loving things you can do is help your woman become more Christ-like. Help your woman experience victories. To see wholeness and healing and pray for her to experience those victories in her life. Let me ask you this. Let me say it differently. Is she closer to Jesus because she's with you? Do you take her to another level with Jesus because she's with you? Women, don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want a man that's not only good looking and smells good and has a job, <laughs> but also cares about your spiritual life? That's one good dude right there. You want to hold on to that man. He's a good dude. He's a good, this is so good, guys. I'm just telling you, I, I'm just, it's so good. I like what Tim Keller said. He said, men, you'll never be a good groom to your wife unless you're first a good bride to Jesus. Unless you're first a good bride to Jesus. And let me say this, when you're a good bride to Jesus, it shows. 
this is not a private thing. This is a public thing. It starts off private, but every decision we make in our life, I mean, it starts off private, but eventually it becomes visible for everyone to see. Did you hear that? Our private decisions start off private, but eventually they become public. Eventually people can look at what was happening inside of our heart. Have you ever seen a couple and they look like they're happy and then you hear that they're having a divorce and you're like, wow, what happened? Well, there were some private things happening inside of them that you did not see. Same thing. When you see someone who's like, man, they look, he looks like he's been in an affair for how long? I had no idea. There were some private things happening inside of his heart. You just didn't see it until it became public. Well, God wants to work in the private. Jesus wants to work in the private. The Holy Spirit wants to work in the private. And you let God work in, in the privacy of your soul, and you let him have your way, and you die to yourself. You know what's going to happen? People are going to see it on the outside. They're going to see you serving. You've never served before. You're volunteering here again. You've never volunteered. What's that? You're all, you always said you're always so busy, but now you're doing this, and you're helping out others, and you're making time to love on others. That's different. You're here for prayer meeting. To, you're here to pray. Wow. Wow, what are you, you're here, you showed up to pray? Wow, what's happening inside of you? You're here at church again? By yourself? Wow, what's going on inside of you? You're different. Something's happening inside of you. Man, you're singing loud. I've never heard you sing that loud before. What's going on inside of you? See, God wants to work in the private. And then everyone will see what's happening publicly. I want to pray for you guys. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you came to church and maybe your relationship with Jesus is just not where it needs to be. And you know that. This is your chance. This is your time. Your time to get right with Jesus. And I want to invite you in a prayer. And this is not a one prayer thing. This is a lifetime prayer thing. Others of you, maybe your marriage, maybe it's a little bit challenging right now. But here's the good news. You have a God of new beginnings. Maybe, maybe you've been through divorce one time, two times, three times, five times. I don't know. But you have a God of new beginnings. Today's a new day. You can choose to be a different man, different woman today. Maybe you have some battle wounds. Today's a new day. We have a God of new beginnings. And all of those, that, that memory in the past can become part of your story. Look at the woman at the well. She'd been with a whole bunch of men. And they became part of her story. And she said, hey, you got to come and see this guy who knows everything about me. She became an incredible missionary in Samaria. So God can use your history for his story, right? It becomes your story, his story. Lord, thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy and thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit, God. I've sensed your, prison, your, your, your spirit even while I've been preaching. God, right now, um, I want to lead that brother or that sister. If you're here and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you right now, Jesus. And I want to turn away from those sins. So as best as I can, I want to repent of those sins. And as best as I can, I want you to be my Lord and Savior and God. I choose to become a Christian right now. You know my life, and I give you my past, my present, and my future. I want to live for you from now on. Help me to do that. Help me to walk by faith. Help me to make better decisions. I need your Holy Spirit. 
I want to be led by your spirit. Others of you maybe need prayer for your marriage. Maybe you need to say this, God, first start with me. I want to die to myself right now. I want to die to myself. I want to have that same sacrificial love, Jesus, that you had for me when you went to that cross. Help me to show love. Help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Transform me, change me. Help us, Lord. We, I want to walk together. I want to grow old with her. And I just rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. You have no business in my marriage and my home. Thank you, Lord, for your good grace. Thank you for church. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.